Letter to a Dead Friend. The elderly woman sat at her desk quietly listening to the music of her youth. A bittersweet smile hovered on her lips as she took out an old fashioned writing pad and picked up a pen. Then, changing her mind, she pushed them aside, pulling the laptop towards her. My dear George, my dear, dear friend, today is the 27th of March. 2019, and I have only just found and heard your last audio tape cassette. Sent to me 1992, the last one you ever wrote. You sent it just one week before you died. Am I crazy, morbid, or maudlin writing to you now, nearly 30 years later? <laughs> These epithets certainly come readily to mind, perhaps, but But right now, my emotion is one of sadness, tinged with so much guilt and regret. I need forgiveness, not only from you, my dear, but myself, for my stupidity. I'm playing the musical side of the cassette now, as I have many times in the last three decades. Only this time, I had to rummage around in the back of the cupboard where I store old suitcases. That's where I keep old bypass technologies, too, like the old record player we used for those first long play vinyls we cut back in the 70s, or this old tape deck. Everything is digital now, stored on my laptop. In fact, that's where I'm typing this letter. <laughs> Incredible, isn't it? I type a letter and play music on the same machine. It stores all my photos, too. So, I can even set up a carousel of all the old gigs we did together, even videos. You in your dinner suit, at the piano, me all gussied up in whatever frock I thought appropriate for the occasion. Oh, and these days they don't have pianists, they have keyboard players. Ah,、oh, so much has changed. The arrival of the cassette, those. Many years ago is imprinted on my memory because it arrived on my birthday. Oh, no surprise there. You always remembered everyone's special occasions, birthdays, anniversaries, all without benefit of a calendar or a diary. I don't know how you did it. I remember that I spent the morning toe tapping to the beautiful music of your last group, the Georgetown Five, when they played at the Hilton. The last number, Autumn Leaves, was in a new key which you had especially arranged for your new singer. She was good, and the song sounded lovely. But I remember crying a little because it brought on poignant, nostalgic memories of all our gigs together, when I was young too, and was in top voice. Yet your playing hadn't changed, only if anything got better. I remember too that first day the cassette arrived. I was disappointed when I turned it over to the B side, not to find your usual message describing the gig as you usually did. That's when you used to tell me how Kay was progressing in her new job, and, well, you would fill in all the gossip about the other members of the band. You were never happy with your bass players, so there was always someone new to talk about. But you see, George, 
John had organised a birthday party for me and I was busy preparing for guests and, well, keen to have a little time to myself so that I could look my best. Although I turned the tape cassette over at the end of autumn leaves, I only waited a moment or two before switching it off, thinking it was blank. So I never got your message. Not back then, nor all the times during the years that I have played that same tape, usually on my birthday. It's raining heavily right now, as it has for almost a week. Indeed, it is because of the rain that I began clearing and tidying and finding long-lost treasures, as well as reacquainting myself with other things previously loved and more recently forgotten. That's how I chanced on a box of all your lovely letter tapes we regularly shared. Knowing this one held a number of rain-drenched melodies, I put it on as appropriate to the weather and continued my chores. Then, when it got to the last number, I simply turned it over at the end without thinking. And after a few moments, there you were, dear friend, your lovely deep voice relaying your message from 30 years ago. And George, straight away, I heard the pain in your voice, the distress you wanted to share with me, asking for help, asking for my help. Oh, can you ever forgive me? I only hope you are at peace. But for me to be at peace, I must atone as best I can and answer you and allay your fears and concerns. <laughs> Even though I know only too well it is simply my way to overcome what is now my problem. You conveyed your suspicions that your lovely Kay is, was, unfaithful. You blamed yourself for her unhappiness, so sure that your affliction had finally turned her love. You confided these things to me as a friend, a, a trusted friend, you said, as indeed you were to me. Yet I did not hear your call for aid when you needed me most. Is it possible to respond now, to get this message to you, beyond the limitations of physical and metaphysical life? Oh, I hope so, for it's all I have. You were right in one way. Your blindness was a key issue. But you see, dear friend, Kay was not unfaithful and loved you to the end. Oh, how easily I could have convinced you. If I could go back those 30 years, I would have picked up the phone and told you off for being so ridiculous. And, well, once you were convinced... I would have shared other news, confidentialities, as to why Kay was unhappy and why she was so preoccupied in those last few days. George, she so wanted a child. Oh, this is not news to you, for you often spoke of it. But she was afraid to conceive because of the heart-rending pain of presenting a child to a father who would never see it. She was trying to protect you. Oh, all of this could easily be explained, either between you both or me acting as the medium in which you aired your grievances. I was, wasn't I? Oh, they were usually trivial things, easily overcome, and this was far from trivial, but, but with a simple explanation could have provided so much joy to replace the pain. Ah, 
We were an odd pair, weren't we, George? I had almost forgotten that special relationship that can only come when two complete misfits happen onto the same horizon and become that most special of all human conditions, true friends. Oh, I so admired you. Not only your talent for your music, which was always so full of emotion, or your constant patience with me when I brought my limited vocal renditions to the stage, or even your ability to overcome your dark world against so many adversities. No, it was your willingness to share that strange, alien world in which you live, lived, so that I may appreciate my own world that much deeper. We were not young, not even in those days, but we all thought we had many years ahead and indeed planned for them. For you, gigs overseas. For me and John, the excitement of moving to a new city, new state and new family. And for Kay, a life trying to adapt to the needs of a talented blind pianist who had never really adapted to his sightless condition. The news of your death came as a terrible shock to John and I, just two weeks after your last tape arrived. I flew down to Sydney and stayed with Kay, helping her make all the necessary arrangements. Oh, she was distraught. And it was then she told me about the baby, the baby she was so nervous about, the baby she so desperately wanted, but that may not be welcomed by you, the baby who never knew his father who has since grown into a beautiful young man with a family of his own. Oh, you would have been proud of him, George, as he of you. Yet it was never to be. One of life's vagaries which offer up a division in the road, the path not taken, like me, not allowing a few more seconds on what appeared to be a blank tape. Kay has never remarried. And, to be honest, I've lost touch. Oh, we exchange Christmas cards with the inevitable greetings. But there is not the warmth and love we once all shared. Where does it go, I wonder? You would have been close to 80 by now, if you had not had your terrible accident. The accident, I must admit, I now ponder. Blind people and electricity are a hazardous mix, it's true, but, but I now have reason to question whether you were so unlucky or careless, or did you see a pathway that appeared to solve all your problems? <laughs> no matter, it's long since past, and John and I think of you as the handsome, talented man you were whereas I must weather the toll of the passing years and reluctantly admit I look very different from our day, though such an admission would perhaps have little impact on you, dear friend, for you made judgments on less trivial factors. I leave you now as I must for the while, you in your world and me in mine. Maybe, if there is a hereafter, we may meet again, perhaps in the not-so-distant future. In loving friendship and my deepest apologies, Marley. Marley stared at the keyboard for a moment, then opened up her document file and pressed Saved. She sat in the silence of her thoughts once again. 
suddenly she smiled. She smiled at the irony of her actions, saving a letter that only existed in cyberspace to a blind friend who could never have read it, who could not even hear it if she spoke it, a friend who had died 30 years ago. But oh, she felt so much better. You have been listening to Letter to a Dead Friend, written and produced by Brianda Cross. If you have enjoyed this little story, please go to our webpage, fastfictionpodcast.com, to check out some of our other stories. And, maybe, give us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, thank you.